Well, good morning, church. Good to be back with you again today. Uh, For those of you who might be visiting today, my name is Seth McCormick. I have the honor of filling in for the first four weeks of July. It's uh, great to be back with you. Uh, I started a sermon series for the the month of July in the book of Jonah last week. Uh, So if you missed that first sermon, feel free to go back in all your free time uh, to the website and check out the sermon recording there. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, chapter 1, verse 17, and I'll be reading through the end of chapter 2. We'll be in the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets, minor not because uh, he's not important, but minor uh, lengthwise, uh, as opposed to the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Uh, So you'll find Jonah in the nestled back in the Old Testament after Amos and Obadiah, but before Micah. Let us hear God's authoritative, inerrant, infallible, and trustworthy word. I will also be reading from the ESV. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 through two, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I called out, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord for his people today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your graciousness to us. For your patience. Your long-suffering. God, we are grateful that you are so kind and generous. You hear us no matter where we pray. You hear us no matter what we pray. We're thankful that we are found in Christ, that we are united with Christ, that we are clothed in his righteousness. God bless the the preaching of this word now. May it be clear to all who are here. May any mistakes that are mine be covered by you. God bless 
this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up on the shores of Lake Erie, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, the water was always present. Much like here in Roanoke, you've got the Blue Ridge Mountains forever there. Uh, My house was one house away from the lake, and so uh, we loved to sit on our screened-in porch and see the waves coming in, the white caps breaking on the big waves. Uh, When we get out of our car, you could immediately smell the, the smell of Lake Erie. Cleveland was known as the mistake on the lake. I assure you, it is much better. Uh, I loved growing up there. Uh, It gets a bad rap, uh, but it has come a long way since the 1970s when uh, the river caught on fire. Um, I always knew, especially in high school, when I'd get lost, if I got lost driving, I knew as long as I could find out where the lake was, that that was pointing north. And so if I wanted to go get the best pizza, I went east to Little Italy, And if I needed to go home, I went west. Uh, So the lake was a a way to find my way. Uh, The water was always there. I loved listening to the waves crashing against the cliffs during the summer with my windows open. Uh, We went swimming all the time. As kids, we'd have seaweed fights, uh, campfires on the beach. The lake was a, a beautiful backdrop for my childhood. Um, But with the lake, like anything, comes inherent risks. Uh, There's the occasional boating accidents, uh, the occasional drownings. And for me, one winter day, it was breaking through and falling through the ice. Many winters, we were always warned, don't go out in the ice. Uh, The police, the, the fire department would come to our school and make a presentation reminding us that you can't trust the thickness of the ice. Um... But not me. That would, would never happen to me. Uh, and then it did. My friend Matt, who lived in our, uh, actually right across the street from me, he and I were on a walk one day and got the brilliant idea that we were going to go walk on the ice. And uh, everything happened so quickly. One minute I'm just walking along, and the next minute I am up to my neck in freezing cold water and Thankfully, Matt was there to, to pull me out. We ran home, threw all my clothes in the washer. I hopped in the shower. I don't think my parents ever knew. Um, unless they listened to the sermon, they might learn. Uh, but it was quite the experience. I didn't plan on falling in the water. I didn't plan on almost drowning. Uh, but it was, it was quite, the, quite the scary experience. And for Jonah, as we discussed last week, death by drowning was what Jonah expected. Jonah expected that he was going to die. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 12, Jonah tells the sailors, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Heck, Jonah might have thought he was doing the, the noble thing by sacrificing himself, throwing himself, getting thrown into the water, thus to calm the sea and to be their sacrifice to stop the storm. Selfishly, that would have gotten him getting out of going to Nineveh, wouldn't it? So death was coming for Jonah. At least, so he thought. 
But our sovereign God had other plans. For we see in chapter 1, verse 17, that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. The Lord appointed this great fish. We see God's sovereign hand that he was not going to drown as Jonah thought. T. Desmond Alexander, a Presbyterian elder and Old Testament lecturer in Belfast, Northern Ireland, says in his commentary that any attempt to figure out what kind of fish this is is, quote, a pointless endeavor. The Hebrew word here is no more specific than a, a great fish. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint, uh, uses a word that merely means a big fish or a whale, maybe even a sea monster. So the reality is this great fish is only mentioned in two verses. Chapter 1, verse 17, and chapter 2, verse 1. Here we are, if you think back to children's Bibles or vacation Bible school programs, the fish is such a huge focus. And yet the fish is only featured in two verses here. Tim Keller points out a fiction writer ordinarily adds supernatural elements in order to create excitement or spectacle and to capture a reader's attention. But this writer doesn't capitalize on the event at all. So let's not get distracted by the fish. And if you find yourself getting distracted by the fish, ask yourself, is this a bigger miracle, Jonah being swallowed by this fish? Is this a bigger miracle than the parting of the Red Sea? Is this a bigger miracle than the parting of the Jordan River? Is this a bigger miracle than the resurrection? I don't think so. All these acts were done by our sovereign creator God. The same God who spoke creation into being in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis is the same God who appoints this great fish to swallow Jonah. The same God who will then later speak to this fish to very colorfully vomit him up onto the land. So Jonah's in the belly of this great fish for three days, three nights. Now we we don't know if that's a very strict 72-hour period. Uh, In the ancient Near East, this phrase was used to describe uh, was used to describe the the trip that they thought it would take to, to get to the underworld. It was long enough to be considered that you were actually dead if you were dead for 72 hours. It's three days, three nights. Interestingly, Jesus uses the same phrasing in Matthew 12, 40 to describe the duration of his time before his resurrection. So Jonah's in the belly of this fish for a good chunk of time, much longer than any of us would ever want to be. And he wasn't dead, though I'm sure he probably wished he was dead. And somehow he amazingly is able to pray to the Lord. But he's having this experience, this near-death experience in the whale. He's trapped. He's sinking. He's feeling like he could die. I wonder if you have ever had a similar experience. Have you ever felt like you messed up so much in your life because of sin, or that you missed God's plan 
and that the door was shut, that you missed God's will. I met a patient in the hospital a month or so ago who voluntarily committed themselves to the psychiatric hospital. They were so anxious. They were so depressed, so distraught, because they had missed what they thought was their one chance in life at a relationship. Their lover had moved on. Their lover had married someone else. And this person thought that their life was over, that nothing could make their path straight again. Has there been a time in your life where you felt like you so royally screwed up that you had messed up God's plan for your life? In the wake of my separation and divorce from my wife, ex-wife of 12 years, I certainly felt like my life was over, that the opportunity to be a dad was gone. But Ian Duguid reminds us, though the book of Jonah shows how the Lord is in charge, his sovereign will to deal with Jonah's heart is the key element in this story. And he works all things together to accomplish that wonderful end. And it will be the same for you, Duguid says. The Lord has brought you where you are today for a reason. And as you turn to him in faith, just as Mrs. Smith said in her children's message, as you turn to God in faith, he will use even the sins and the trials that feel so devastating to bring good fruit in your life. I'm here today as Exhibit A, though my wife and three kids aren't with me. We are proof of God's second chances, the beauty of redemption. I have an incredible bonus son, Noah, who's 12, a spitfire of a daughter, Bronwyn, who's almost three, and the chunkiest little baby boy, Ian, who's six months old. Like Jonah, though, sometimes we have to hit rock bottom. I certainly hit mine. I wonder if you've ever hit rock bottom. And so this lands us, or this floats us down, to continue the narrative of Jonah, this floats us down to verse 2 in chapter 2. Here the puny prophet, remember from last week I, I called Jonah puny for prodigal, uncaring, nonchalant, but yielding, puny an acronym, this puny prophet prays a prayer of thanksgiving for the sovereign God's deliverance. In verse 2, Jonah calls out to God in prayer. And he states that he's in the grave. He's in Sheol. In the Hebrew mind, Sheol was the, the afterlife, the place where the dead go. It was literally the grave. And Jonah is comparing the belly of this great fish to Sheol, to death. And yet in this place of death, Jonah calls out, the puny prophet calls out to God. Which is a powerful reminder that we can also pray anywhere. We don't have to be in this building. We don't have to go on a pilgrimage to some holy site. We can go to the Lord in prayer anywhere. 
Certainly, Jesus encourages us in Matthew 6, 5 and 6 to not pray in public so that our works of righteousness and piety might be seen. But with that aside, throughout Scripture, and even your reminder in your bulletin for this week, is to pray continually. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. God calls us to pray everywhere, anywhere, in all circumstances. The location does not matter. There's not one spot more holy than another. And so if this puny prophet can pray in the belly of the great fish, so you can pray in your car, in the shower, at work, on a run. In verse 3, we again see Jonah's recognition and acknowledgement of God's sovereignty over his life. Jonah says, For you, Cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. All your waves and your billows. Jonah recognizes that God is the one in control. God is the one that has put him in this place. But it's also a reminder to us that our decisions have consequences. Jonah's decision to not go to Nineveh had consequences. Isn't it fascinating that Jonah willingly ran away from God, so God gave him exactly what he wanted. He gave him exactly what he wanted to be out of his presence. But then in verse 4, Jonah laments. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Well, which is it, Jonah? You don't want to go to Nineveh, so you go to Tarshish. You get thrown into the sea, find yourself in the belly of the, of the fish, of the whale. Do you want to follow God's command to go to Nineveh, or do you want to follow your own heart to Tarshish? Jonah is an incredible example of an incredible representative of our human condition. One minute we want God in our lives, we need him, we cry out to him, we're begging for his help, but then in the next, nope, I'm good. Stay where you are. I'll do it my way. Me and Frank Sinatra. Jonah's cry from the belly of the fish is such an encouragement to all of us who find ourselves in the hell holes of this world, often the ones that we put ourselves in. Again, Ian Dugid put it, Quote, Jonah's cry from the belly of the fish shows you can never be too far gone to cry out to the Lord. At the very moment that seems blackest and most hopeless, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. At the place where nothing and no one but him can possibly help you. God has us where he wants us. God has Jonah where he wants Jonah. And we see in verses 5 and 6 this kind of flowery language that's describing Jonah's continued descent to the deep. The water's closing over him. He's surrounded. The seaweed is grabbing at his head. He's at the base of the mountain. Jonah keeps going down, further down. Death from drowning in this whale or death from drowning 
seems inevitable. Verse 6 makes explicit that Jonah sees himself in this watery prison. He felt he was closed in. Verse 6, read along with me. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. A very visual reminder that Jonah feels like he's in jail. He's in Sheol. He's dead. Jonah keeps sinking further and further from the covenant God. This puny prophet is condemned for his sin. His wickedness deserves punishment. He's he's permanently barred. He, He feels like he's permanently barred from the land of the living because of his disobedience. And yet this puny prophet is praying a prayer of thanksgiving for the sovereign Lord's deliverance. And I'll admit, I use this this word thanksgiving for this prayer lightly. We only hear Jonah thank God for his deliverance deliverance very late in verse 9. He acknowledges that God's with him in verse 2. He recognized that God heard his voice. The thanksgiving seems insinuated, especially in verse 9. Jonah never explicitly says, Thank you, God, for saving me from the storm. Thank you, God, for saving me with this fish. Thank you for not letting me drown. We never hear anything that explicit from Jonah. We also never hear Jonah repent. He doesn't say, you know, God, I was a jerk to you. I'm sorry. He doesn't apologize like we try to teach our kids. He doesn't say, you know, I'm sorry, God, I I should have gone to Nineveh. We don't get any sort of recognition, confession. But what we do get is God's grace in verse 6. In the second part of verse 6, for Jonah does a U-turn. Jonah, in verse 6, recognizes and says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. We see God's intervention on Jonah's behalf. God caused a U-turn in Jonah's life. As that Country song says, Jesus took the wheel. Jonah was rescued, pulled up out of Sheol. There was hope. God was doing a miraculous work of changing Jonah's heart. The sovereign God saved this puny prophet. Tim Keller said, It is only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, When all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. You never realize that Jesus is all you need, Keller says, until Jesus is all that you have. Keller goes on, The way up was first of all the way down, the usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. The great miracle for Jonah was that his heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. 
The great miracle is when the prodigal son or prodigal daughter comes home. As Pastor James Montgomery Boyce put it, the real miracle is when God restores the creature-creator relationship. So there seems to be some hope here for this puny prophet. He has the perfect chance to repent. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Maybe Jonah realizes he has his own vain idols. Maybe Jonah realizes that his hatred of the Ninevites is an idol. Maybe Jonah realizes his love for his nation is an idol. Maybe Jonah will come to see that his deep desire for God's wrath to come onto the Assyrians is an idol. Jonah is right. Those who cling to idols, or in the Hebrew, the word for idols is literally empty nothings. Those of us who cling to empty nothings have nothing. We miss out on the steadfast love of the covenant God. But as modern-day readers, we can see Jonah's idols. He can't, but we can see his idols. The question is, can we see our own? When we replace God with things like money or cars or power or fame or always being right in an argument, when we replace God with a relationship, or a dream, a material possession, we miss out on God's steadfast love. We would do all, we would all do well to spend some time this afternoon asking the Lord, what are the idols in our hearts, in our lives, that have replaced God? May we be a people of prayer who readily repent, who give thanks, for the sovereign God's deliverance. Jonah finishes his psalm here with a a vow of future faithfulness. Jonah says in verse 9 that he's going to sacrifice to God, that he'll pay what he's vowed. And then he makes the central expression of the text and his second confessional statement in the book. Jonah says succinctly, salvation belongs to the Lord. God is in charge of salvation, not Jonah, not you, not me. God is in charge. God can save the Ninevites if he wants to do so. God can save the most heinous of perpetrators if that is his plan. Jonah's prayer ends with a shout, salvation belongs to the Lord. This verse expresses with great conciseness the whole message of the Bible. It's not a matter of God saving you partly and you doing your part. God saves. We contribute nothing to our salvation. We do not, we cannot save ourselves. That is the gospel. It's not the gospel plus works. It's not Jesus plus good deeds. It's the gospel, period. I don't know how many times I hear in the hospital, 
Oh, well, I'd give the shirt off my back. Well, good for you. That's not enough to get you to heaven. It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done on the cross for us. That's why I asked Ed to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 says, You were dead, dead, dead in your trespasses and sins. Jonah's life was filled with disobedience and pride. He was dead. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we followed the world. We followed the prince of the power of the air. We were, we are children of wrath. We obey our flesh. We obey our desires rather than obeying the Lord. But then we see this beautiful reminder, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, Paul says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. John Calvin, commenting on this, passage in Ephesians said, we are all born as dead men, and we live as dead men until we are made partakers of the life of Christ. So the reality is God is sovereign over our lives. God is sovereign over your life. God is sovereign over salvation from beginning to end. If God shows us, it's not because we are a particularly choice person. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So today we can join the puny prophet in praying a prayer of thanksgiving for the sovereign Lord's deliverance. For we see God not only physically delivered Jonah, from the physical drowning and the potential death, but God also delivered Jonah from a spiritual drowning, a spiritual death. And today, God can deliver you as well from both the physical and the spiritual death. If you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, or you're in the belly of a great fish, it is raining outside, Call out to God. Heed Mrs. Smith's words. Call out to the Lord. If it's good enough for the children, it's good enough for us. Call out to him. Seek him. Cry out to the Lord. He will answer. If you need someone to talk to about the physical or spiritual trials you are facing, remember that there's elders available at the end of of the service. There are deacons available throughout the week. I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. Remember, salvation belongs to the Lord. Hopefully this truth brings us great comfort. We don't have to wash ourselves up and get all pretty and clean. You don't have to be perfect because you can't. You don't have to be good enough. You won't. Only Christ was. Only Christ is. You are never too far gone. You are never too damaged. 
You can't out God's love and grace. If you find yourself at rock bottom, let one of us know so that we can come alongside of you and help get you out of Sheol. Jonah couldn't even pray his... In my opinion, Jonah couldn't even pray correctly. It's insinuated he gave thanks. His repentance is is there, but it's minute. And so the fish vomits him out. Verse 10. Vomits it out on dry land. Jonah's life was filled with disobedience and pride and sin and rebellion. And yet God gives him a second chance. And we'll see that second chance next week in chapter 3, where Jonah will go to preach to the Ninevites. And it's the same for us today. When someone comes to Christ, God is the one in charge of maintaining our salvation. So if you are out there and you find yourself wondering, am I saved? What kind of assurance do I have? Did that prayer that I prayed really count? Just remember, it doesn't depend on your ability to keep yourself from idolatry and sin. It's not about whether you have enough faith. Remember that salvation belongs to the Lord from beginning to end. It's not something I can lose, you can lose through our sin and failure or running away from God. God is faithful. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So friends, let us take comfort in these words from Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. I love that Patty chose this hymn. We did not arrange this. She picked it out without knowing that I was going to reference it. But in this, I think it's the second verse. Rock of Ages sings, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Jesus alone saves. Jesus alone saved a puny prophet who didn't repent. And Jesus alone saves you and saves me. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you today for your sovereignty that you take us as the messes that we are and spread your kindness. God, for all those sins that we've committed past, present, and future, we know that they have been atoned for by Christ's death on the cross. That you propitiated our sins. You you turned the wrath of God away from us and onto your Son. That we were given Christ's righteousness. God, thank you for putting our sins on Christ. Thank you that he willingly clothes us with his white robe. And that when you see us, you see Jesus. 
So God, I pray that if there's anybody here today who feels like they are too far gone, or they are sinking in the ocean of their sin or their depression, God, may you pull them out. May your Holy Spirit be at work. May they have ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your word. May they take comfort in the words of this prophet Jonah. Even though he disobeyed, you still used him. You still love him. You still called him to go. So, Lord, do a good work in our hearts today, this week. Do a good work in the life of this church. Father, prepare them for this interim pastor who's coming. Prepare their hearts for this next pastor who will bring your word, who will bring the ordinary means of grace to their lives, to their community. God, we ask that you would move powerfully throughout the body of Christ today in Roanoke, across the country, around the world. Whether they're meeting in a a beautiful building like this one or they're meeting under a tree in Africa, God, may your praises be made. May your word be preached. God, we ask for your seeds of peace to be sown in those places that are ravaged by war, by greed. God, we pray for healing for those who have lost loved ones or whose homes have been destroyed by natural disasters. Father, meet the many needs of those in this congregation who are struggling with cancer or dementia or just getting old. Father, walk with the young, with the middle-aged, with the elderly. May we all know that you are the good shepherd, as John 10 talks about. You walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You do not leave us. You never forsake us. So God, encourage this church today. Encourage our hearts. Bring assurance to those who question their faith. Help them to see that it's all that you have done on the cross for them. God, may we serve out of gratitude. May we serve with a gracious heart because of what you have done for us. May we be your hands and feet this week. We ask this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. And Lord, lead us now as we pray the prayer your Son taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.